Here we are with another episode of the Research Podcast. Today we have William Bennett and our host, V. Vale. Well, I'm amazed you're here, William, because I hear from the grapevine that you're very reluctant to give <laughs> podcast <laughs> I interviews. I don't know what we give you that idea. <laughs> And, and so I kind of jokingly had said earlier that I was afraid we only had a half hour, so let's let's as fast as possible, you know, make as many people in our audience as interested as possible in you, and that's maybe is a little bit of a grandiose goal. But let's start out with the real basics. I know that if I find out someone's from a foreign land, I immediately perk up you know, to some other level. And I was told that you're from Scotland. Have you always been from Scotland? Tell me about that. Um, no, I wasn't. Well, it's. I'm not sure how interesting that, that is. But, I, you know, I went to a lot of different schools and jumped around the different types of schools. And born in a caravan. Very chaotic upbringing. But was it in Scotland, or let's call it UK? UK in general, but a lot of different places, you know, maybe a dozen different locations. Wow. Quite nomadic. Were you part of hippie parents? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I could, you could say. Born in the 1960s, so it was pretty sort of probably more beat than hippie. Ooh. Yeah, but... but um, yeah, you could say that. It sounds like your parents were risk-takers and, you know, very truth-seekers and all that. Um, that that's um, over-egging it. I think, I think it was more an, an unplanned pregnancy was the was really how it happened. <laughs> and a forced marriage. <laughs> Same thing happened to me. Really? But, but you were, you're a product of being, quote, on the road, as Kerouac put it. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was literally born in a caravan. And... Um, and um, yeah, it was it was a you know disastrous relationship, but, you know, and um, when they finally separated, that was uh, things were much better after that. So when did you actually live in a house that doesn't move? Um, as I said, we lived in all sorts of different types of accommodation. And different types of play, you know, area and different types of schools. I went to, you know, expensive private schools. I went to really bad, dangerous um, public schools, or that's how you say it here, but um, estate schools we call them in the UK. Those are the, you know, the ones uh, the government provide, the free ones. Um, so, I mean, all kinds of different schools, some religious schools, various denominations, and just really, in a word, a bit of everything. Wow. Sounds like my upbringing, but I'm a product of foster homes. Yeah. But um, I guess, did you have Where any... Where are you from originally, then? Well, I'm from a terrible... I'm from all over America. Yeah various foster homes yeah but we're here to talk about you <laughs> oh you're pretty clever and oh that clever <laughs> and i i Very just crude attempt <laughs> <laughs> but 
I wondered when you, when or if you ever had some kind of sensibility, and I mean, sorry, I meant stability, mm. because I feel if you could have a little stability, then you're safe enough to start learning and applying yourself and, you know, like growing in a more individual as opposed to school directed direction. I, I personally don't think, I think children become whoever they, you know, in adult life, they become whoever they are, despite their, back, you know, their childhood. You know, the kids and teenagers are actually very, very resilient creatures. Um, and they can, you can have all, all kinds of outcomes from all different kinds of backgrounds. I'm not sure. I think it's over um, uh, overstated, you know, how important um, childhood is to how children evolve, ultimately. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very tempting to um, root around um, in, you know, into your past and sort of try to find causes for this, that and the other, of why you do this, why you do that. Um, but I'm not sure it's, it's as much... It's much more than like something like palmistry, you know, at the end of the day. Um, there's a lot of superstition involved in psychology in that respect. I, I mean I mean, I'll give you an example of what I'm what I mean. I mean, if 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 you ask somebody, you know, so if they liked ice cream and then they say yes or no, and then if they say what kind of ice cream do you like? Do you like chocolate ice cream? Do you prefer strawberry ice cream? And they said, Oh well, I like I, I prefer chocolate. I definitely prefer chocolate ice cream to strawberry ice cream. Now, why is that? Now, if you can't answer that question, you can't answer the question about why, you know, what happened in a serial killer's childhood to make him the way he is, or anybody else for that matter. You know, you have no right to, to, to in my opinion, to be uh, making judgments about a person based on their, their childhood. Um, if you can't answer simple questions like why they prefer chocolate to strawberry ice cream. Well, I like them both. Well, again, there's a, there's a why do you like both? I mean. Well, the strawberry ice cream I like mm. has real bits of strawberries in it mm. that I love. And what is it about having real bits of strawberry in it? I don't know, but I like it. Yeah, I don't know why I well, like this is, it. This is, this is what I'm saying. You could root around in your childhood and try, but at the, at the end of the day, there is no, there is no answer to that question. The, it's, just, it's just what it is, what it is. And things just happen um, organically um, and probably arbitrarily. And children are very, very resilient creatures. And I, you know, they they can. I I know a lot of uh, you know a lot of friends of mine had very um, traumatic upbringings, and they they've got now they've got families and very very sort of stable situation. I know you know all kinds of. There are, there are far too many exceptions to the rule, in other words, to make any. Well, well, you know, I have the rebellion theory of development. Like, um, I, I lived in so many foster homes, and then mm. when I got to live with my real mother, I lived in so many homes. My mother superstitiously moved every year that mm. I was determined to never move again, and yeah. I pretty much rebelled yeah. against that by being here almost 40 yeah. years. Yeah. And I think we are born to rebel. I, that I'm pretty sure of. The, the the point I'm making really is that it's 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 much easier sort of forming that kind of narrative. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's very easy to form narratives looking back, looking back, 
um, and sort of picking out moments um, that were significant to sort of um, but as I say you can do that in any you know if you look at uh, look at some tea leaves for example um, you can find yeah. uh, your future you can find well not your future but you can explain your past this, oh. this is the point Rorschach exactly yeah. Exactly. It's um, and so there's a, there's a lot of um, I think in psychology there's a hell of a lot of um, superstition. You know, I agree with you. Totally. I mean, I'm always disturbed about people wanting to have overarching theories that purport to explain anything. Yeah. And I would agree that. Why bother? Yeah. Just enjoy the mystery. Yeah. Enjoy. Be in the moment yeah. um, and you sure we can Monday morning quarterback all we want but, yeah exactly you know but yeah. I, I'm not sure how valuable it is all I know is whatever we do if we can inspire someone else to do something yeah that that sort of temporarily pleases me yeah and this is why it, and, and I agree with you and this is why I like this word despite so you can do things despite X, Y, or Z, um, rather than because of it. Um, you know, so so children can be what they want to be, despite their teachers, despite their background, despite education, despite their parents. That's good. Wow, the despite theory of uh, I don't know causality of creativity, yeah. maybe. Because yeah. I think we, everyone I know, or that I've tried to vainly refine my acquaintanceships to our, our, we are interested in creativity mm. and, and even thinking about theories of it, at least I am. Mm. And, um, but, but you judge by results. Well, did you create anything in the last 40 years? No? Well then, hmm. <laughs> you judge by results. Yeah, well, it's, it's that classic thing where, you know, one's dreams, you know, it's, it's, actions comes between the now and one's dreams you know what I mean and without the action then there is nothing I couldn't agree more it's a action is living yeah I mean no actions well hmm. what have you done <laughs> nobody's mean, interested in what you want you know or what happened to you you know people are interested in what you do or what you did I couldn't agree more I, and I try and you know I suppose I I don't even like to judge people to be mm. honest. I've always tried to refrain from that yeah. because everyone's on a transitioning. Everyone's in a work in progress. Everyone's a, we hope will do something eventually. Mm. You know, yeah. and I'd rather not be in that polarizing position of supposedly making a judgment or mm. being a judge. Well, it's it's very easy, you know, these kind of shortcuts to distill everything into sort of binary choices, and and that that's part of the problem. Um, if if you can, the, the, what comes in 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 I think comes in the way of um, what you know the, the seeing people as individuals is language. You know, I mean that again, it's a despite thing. It's this that we have good relationships with people despite language, not because of it. Um, because language is a very crude means of communication, ultimately. 
I agree. I think a thousand years from now, our language will be judged right now as we're speaking as just incredibly yeah. inept, lacking, and yeah. totally in, 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 enslaved by that horrible binary. Yes. I hate that. That's what Burroughs, that's the first thing I learned from Burroughs, was yeah. attack all binary language and try not to even use it, but it's so difficult mm. to mm. avoid binary, mm. you know, good, bad. I suppose even despite is binary. <laughs> well, I don't think, I personally think, I, because it, because I think the word like despite, it's, you have, you have, um, nobody can see what I'm doing. <laughs> Gesturing, by the way. <laughs> Um, but um, it's so you have a you have a sm you have a closed set of things which you perhaps are trying to avoid or perhaps you, you, you're not favourable towards, and despite opens it up to everything that's outside that. Um, yeah. So in a way you could call that binary, but but to me it's like a it, it opens up a universe of possibility that's that has infinite um, extension. You know the the the, it's the the closed set, and then outside it is a completely open set. Hmm, that sounds almost like mathematics. I'm just using that as a metaphor to explain that the, the word I don't think is, um, it's not, that you know, we're not talking about. It's a door. Uh, yeah. It's a door to another country. Well, it's not a country, isn't it? It is a, is a contained space. Right? Dis despite offers a completely open, infinite space. Yeah. So if, a, if, a ch if, 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 uh, if we say that a teenager can do things despite their education, for example, that means the education is this small set of perhaps um, under knowledges or understandings that, that they, that, you know, belief systems um, that despite offers that it can be anything but that, it can be anything beyond that, which is ultimately everything. It could, you know, it could even include the, the closed set if necessary, or parts of the closed set. But if we use the, if we, if we, you know, if we use the term because, Mm. Then you're then you're you're um, you're mm. chained to chained to the close set. Yeah, because it's a very dangerous word. That yeah, doesn't look dangerous to yeah. most people. There are a lot of very dangerous words. They're, they yeah. are because they completely close down yeah. huge areas of imagination That's and right. speculation That's right. and fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Language was given us to make surrealist use of it, but also to to make not try hard to make non-binary use of it, yeah. is that a binary non-binary? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm personally, you know, I'm very very interested in, you know, I love languages and, you know, learn about sort of seven, six or seven languages. Oh, you and, do. And and I love the freedom that comes from having other languages in which to express oneself, um, because, you know. Language is sort of an expression of one's illusion of identity, and, it's, and as I say, it's a very crude means of doing that. Whereas, if you have different language options, mm. um, you can actually, you know, your core identity is much um, confined specific areas. You know, other different languages have different; they're better at certain aspects of, of the living experience um, than English. English is good for certain things, um, or it could just be more tuned to your core identity. For example, Spanish for me is a, if I'm speaking Spanish, I just, it's, you know, life is fun. You know, it's um, cheerful. Um, it's a very, very pleasant world. Um, and it much, it resonates with my core identity much better than English does. 
um, and I, you know, I learnt uh, bits of, you know, um, speak in Catalan, which is like spoken in the north of Spain. Lived there in Barcelona for a few years, and I love Catalan. I love Spanish, Span but it's more like French, and um, that I feel too serious when I'm speaking French, too, too reserved, and too sort of, um, dare I say, um, intellectual. Less of a human being. Yeah. And it's it's I think it's all to do with um how it's relating to your core identity. You know, it's a psycho linguistic component to all languages that of of um its connection with your you know, your core identity. What are those other languages you might have investigated? Um uh, Spanish. Catalan, Spanish, English, that's three. Yeah, um, some Italian, Italian, Korean, and a little bit of Japanese. Oh, good. You got out of the linear abstract word, you know, symbol, more abstract symbol-based language to those more unideogram-based. Yeah. And Thai as well, because I lived there. Oh, Thailand, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because Burroughs, I remember, he, he made it a... I think he wanted to learn Chinese, but didn't get very far, but he also definitely studied Egyptian. He had the Egyptian grammar, gar, you know, that big, mm. thick Egyptian grammar book. I mean, Thai, just to give you an example, Thai is an interesting language, and I've heard it's, there's grammatical similarities with Chinese in the sense that um, mo most words are monosyllabic, and um, so if, if you say, you know, that I, if you want to say I go, you know, I, I, let's say in English you would say, I went to the market yesterday. In Thai, you would literally just say, go yesterday, market. So there's no, you never, you know, the verbs don't inflect, which is interesting because it's, the verb, the core meaning of the. Verb. In fact, in English, we use. There's so much redundancy in in, in in all languages in English. There, where you inflect the verb, you say "I went" instead of "I go." Yesterday, you have to change it to "went," um, which is it's a lot of work. For it's your a lot of work, but, but it's 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 unnecessary because if I say "I go yesterday," you still understand me, right? Yeah. Um, and when you reduce a, a verb to just the without inflecting it, it becomes much more. Um, the, the core meaning is much more pure, if I'm making any sense. Well, it's certainly it's more concise. In other words, it's the notion of go. That's all that's, that's necessary, really. Um, whereas uh, in English or in other languages, um, you know, Romance languages, where you inflect the verbs, um, you're, you're moving further away from the, the, the core notion of, of, of go. And um, that's a simple example, but it happens, um, you know, in, in, a, in a complex statement. What what happens is, um, and this is true in Korean as well, that where you have a lot more, um, because you have to, the listener has to um, understand you from the from the context. Hmm. Because if I said I go to the market, you don't know, and you know I go market. Was that yesterday you went, or tomorrow, or? What do you, so you're actually the listeners having to work out um, what you mean, and that's very interesting in terms of um, ambiguity in language, um, where 
less is more. So people, they very rarely, in Korean for example, they very almost never use um, second person pronouns. Very rarely use first person pronouns. Um, so the listener has to um, compute who's being referred to in any given, any given sentence, utterance. Is that an advantage? Yeah, huge. Oh. Um, because it's by making the by by um, it creates more potential for meaning. Ah. Hmm. See, what would be perfect is if 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 we were able to have a conversation um, without saying anything, just looking at each other. You know, and you've probably been in a relationship where that's actually happened, right? Well, where you can just you can you can look at someone and they look at you and you know what's about to happen. Yeah. Or, or we well definitely we know <laughs> we just thought about what just happened. Well, that whether was it's well. a concert, whether it's a person we just met, yeah. something in real life. Yeah. Oh sure, it's, it's pure, and that's a pure communication experience. The words get in the way. I mean, as soon as you say a word, then it can be interpreted in different ways. It can be misunderstood. You know got the intonation and so forth. I think there's a lot of that happening now on all this internet speak that's happening, you know, where people are texting on cell phones through the internet and oh, it's, it's neurosis. lots of oh, lots of misunderstanding yeah. I've seen happen. Yeah. It sometimes seems to be permanent, like there's no healing it. Oh, and language is so you know, we're in a, we're in an era where that there's, there's, there's so many taboo words and taboo expressions and taboo ways of saying things, you know. It's, um, and again, it's, it's exposing languages, extreme limitations. Yeah, I would say that I'm in a war with outdated language and have been since I read Burroughs. <laughs> it's a war. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that... Um, Words are just sounds, really. I mean, they're just phonemes, you know, strung together. Um, so at the same time, we shouldn't take it too seriously. Um, but at the same time, we should also be subverting it. Well, I, th I think, and refining our own personal deployment of language, because, I, I mean, I also am a fan of humor as much as mm. possible. Mm. And so... I guess humor automatically is a subversion of rigidly dogmatic language structures mm. or word pairs or whatever you call mm. them. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, humor is, is my number one priority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that um, Ray Bradbury um, short story of the... Um, where humor came who? from. Ray Bradbury. Oh, Bradbury. Do you, do you remember that one? I can't remember the title. Where he, that it was humor was given to us by an alien, aliens. Where he, oh, that was the theme. That's the story. Yeah. Essentially, that's the theme of this. Do you remember that one? Maybe. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Because nobody, it's, a, it's one of those things that's very hard to sort of find its origins. Um, you know, I, I did Latin at school as well. And, um, there's humor in Latin, you know, some very funny juvenile, very funny way. But the um, um, but humor is a difficult thing, you know, to like to find its origin, determine its origins, and how it all started. 
even the, even the notion of smiling and laughter is, is an interesting um, journey. God, I hadn't thought of, of working on the notion of the history of humor and how it started. It probably started with the first misunderstanding right after words were invented when people Ungawa or whatever. <laughs> well, it's allegedly we all came from Africa, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Strange notion, and mm. and um, it's so weird. I mean, I have a daughter who's now twenty, mm. but but the the first time I ever heard her express herself was in the back seat of the car. It was a suddenly I heard peals of laughter coming from the car from in back instead of a word laugh you know whatever peals of laughter are mm. and I thought wow that's amazing because you just said we don't know I mean to make a laugh I guess that's universal through all the languages laughs sound alike or do they Chinese yeah, Eskimo mm. Eskimo's Sounds really weird to me. I've heard recordings, mm. you know, yeah. and then I don't know what it's like in Patagonia with the natives speak, mm. but um, you know the extremes, mm. and um, well, we we know that I the mean, Chinese lo sound a lot different of jokes when they don't translate, you know. Um, oh right, and and I I I, I've, I have a close friend that um, said that. Um, because an interesting aspect of humor is irony, that um, irony is a sort of Western thing. Hmm. Um, and it's because we're so, we have so many complexes and issues. And we're so sort of, we like to think of irony as being this sort of gift that we have in the West. Um, and she suggested that it was actually just to sort of cover up our own, how um, fucked up we are, basically. Hmm. Uh, wait, give me an example of irony. I totally forgot what it means. Suddenly, it means like um, the irony. Shakespeare. It all go for me. All language starts with Shakespeare. It's <laughs> 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 like if, some, if something terrible happens, and you go, "Well, that was good." Hmm. I mean, that's sort of basic hmm. irony. Yeah, I mean, it's. I agree. Certainly, I think it's an interesting theory. And um, it's, it's most certainly overused, in my opinion. Um, um, and I know in, in the UK, you, you know, in Britain, we pride ourselves on our incredibly, um, you know, like uh, Oscar Wilde and so forth, you know, that kind of use of irony as sort of being this amazing gift that the UK is sort of... Um, I love Oscar blessed, Wilde. Blessed with. Yeah, thank goodness Oscar Wilde lived. But, um, um, or what do you call the kind of Groucho Marx humor where um, I wouldn't jo join any club that would have me as a member or whatever it is, I'm against I it. I think that's irony, isn't it? That's yeah, irony, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it used to make me laugh. Oh, well, it was. I mean, it's funny and it's what works. The, the, the theory is that it's, it's a f um, firstly, it's overused. And the second point is that it's really it's it's not so much a gift, it's it's really to sort of um, disguise the fact that we've that we're so hung up. That was the theory, anyway. 
I think it's an interesting theory. Hung up, meaning, what does that mean? To have lots of hang-ups. Oh, hang-ups. Such as, I can't even think of one well, hang Well, about up. sex, for example, you know. Oh, have, you know, oh, that. that's how that word was used in the 60s. Mm. A hang-up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. I wouldn't well, be surprised if that came from San Francisco. That, that word. There's, there's a lot of phrases like that which come from uh, come from here. It's interesting. There's one that I learned the other day which was making a difference, <coughs> which you know it's just completely ubiquitous. Of course, that phrase now, but it's that that goes back to like the '60s and the whole self-help revolution here. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few good ones. Wow. That have become the common currency now. I do, whenever I look up a word, I, I do like the etymology, and I miss that, mm. not seeing that so, so detailed whenever I look up a word on the computer. Well, I'll give you an, another um, example which fits into what we were earlier saying, but is also an example of, of 60s language, which is probably, again, probably from here, um, is to, to get off on something, which I, I think um, I think it's a fantastic phrase. Um, you know, it's got this kind of sexual connotation to it. <laughs> yes. Um, because, again, but it's the beauty of, again, it goes back to what I was talking about with Chinese, Thai, and, and Korean, for example, where it's got this beautiful um, ambiguity to it because um, get off, of course, you can get off a bus, you can get off, get, what does get mean? Get has hundreds of different meanings. Off has hundreds of different meanings. You put it together. Now, if I get off on something, um, you know, for a, for a foreign learner of English, it's very difficult. If they don't know what that means, it's very difficult for them to find out the meaning because they have to look up all get off and on, and each one has hundreds of different meanings. So what does that mean exactly? And we understand it right away because it has this sort of physiological s sex connotation. But what if you if you apply that? If you think if you apply that to um, things. So if I if I say well, let's go back to the, the strawberry ice cream. Um, I like strawberry ice cream. Like is a very abstract word, but if I say I get off on strawberry ice cream to someone, that's a much more powerful way of saying it because they're experiencing it on some kind of physical, sexual level. So I I I, I think it's much better to use language on that with with physical um, with this kind of physical, if necessary, sexual ambiguity um, because it's much more meaningful to somebody that you, you're talking to. So if I say, oh, you know, I saw that movie the other week. Um, um, I really got off on it. Oh, that's fantastic! That that that's fun. When I hear somebody, if I if I heard somebody said to me, William, God, I really got off on that that new Blair Witch film, which is a complete lie. But but um, if they said I really got off on that new Blair Witch film, that would make me want to see it because it's it's meaningful and it's sort of uh, um, you know when you when you when you know when you use language, it does something. It's um, it can capture things in the other person's imagination if it's used in, a, in, a, in an effective way. So, you know, I mean, asking someone the classic sort of, have you ever um, seen a, an elephant flying? Um, you just imagine it as soon as you hear the question. And Dumbo, the flying elephant. Yeah, you just imagine. It's the same with, so if I say, did you get off on that, that meal that you just ate? The person imagines it. It sort of it, it, it has this meaning, this this physiological meaning, that's much more effective and powerful.
than, than it would be if you just said, did you like that movie? Which to me is a really boring way of asking. We, use, we overuse the word like like. See, like is a really bad word. Um, and um, it has no meaning. It's dull. So, I, you know, so I, 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 as much as possible, replace words like like with phrases like get off on. Um, and um, that's a small, and small example of what, yeah, what, what okay, I'm talking about. Two breakthroughs, despite and get <laughs> off. On. on. Get off on. Oh, that's yeah. even better because it, yeah. it, it's sort of anti-binary. It has both. Off and on in it. Yeah. Get off on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so concise. Yeah. I, I am a fa fan of super concise yeah. language yeah. and fewest number of syllables, yeah. but, you know, I, my, my fantasy is, is to sum up situations in just three words. Hmm. You know, well, how was it? Well, well again, I mean, this is the, this is the Chinese model, uh, as I understand it. Um, it's incredible what can be expressed in three syllables, let alone three words. I know, I summed up your concert in my usual three-word phrase-making with noise voodoo drums. But, of course, I had no idea what to expect when I saw your show, mm. and, and I'm always very affected by the audience when I see a show. Mm. It's not just the person or whatever is allegedly happening on the, not in your case, non-existent stage in front yeah. of you. You're just yeah. surrounded, but you're seeing a visual Mm. you know, which is coming from back there. Yeah. We're not seeing you do anything. I didn't see you once during that because I didn't know where to find you. Or not that I, actually I didn't even think of it, I was just watching. Yeah. So I was glad you provided the visuals, but then I noticed that very quickly, one young man right in front of my mm. little camera mm. got up and started <laughs> dancing. And then finally, to two other young men and a woman came over and, and kept him company. And, yeah. and then, right in front of me over there and then over there, these two rather attractive blonde women mm. suddenly started moving like mad. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw the virus spread through the yeah. audience, but there was still plenty of hardcore who resolutely sat on yeah. the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And they wouldn't... Yeah. But it, but then I saw for the first time in my life not human really dancing. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen that in my I life. Wish I, I wish I'd seen that. And 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 it's I rocky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I, if if I weren't so inhibited, I probably would have done the same. Yeah. But but I I'm always like call myself the witness or the watcher, mm. and um, and I was but I did feel like the power of of the drums and how primitive and yet how futuristic they are because nothing can beat them yeah. hey beat them yeah. that's a bad pun <laughs> <laughs> nothing and everything but it's they're so it's so it's so so simple to hear these powerful what sound like drum rhythms you know sound like analog drum sources of hearkening millions of whatever it is years back and but really pretty powerful and you know we're 
we're allegedly humans, we're supposed mm. to be like, you know, all in the E equals mm. MC squared dimension mm. all the time, although mm. few of us are. Mm. And and I think a lot of us are more like machines or or mammals or reptiles mm. more, but um, that's another matter. Because I, I don't know if you ever read the three brain theory no. about how each of us incarnates. I think it's a four brain theory because I think we're machines, first of all. Mm. I mean, we don't want to admit it, but mm. so much of us is mechanical function we mm. have no control over. Yeah. And then, and then I guess crawling up through the primeval ooze, we're reptilian with a little reptile brain, and then next evolution was mammalian, where we like to cuddle at night, or some of us do, to stay warm. Mm. And then the last evolution is language and physics and math and all those mm. other kinds of languages that aren't called languages. Uh, the equals MC squared, mm. you know, ability to universalize, generalize, mm. you know, try to defeat time and all mm. that. Mm. But um, but it, but I one way to defeat time is just to be a, immediately in the now. You could say dancing to your music, mm. <laughs> and I wondered if how m I thought this is this is um, this is very I don't know I, I I'd kind of forgotten I hadn't thought about it for a while how there are people who think that one of the purposes of our existence is to reach a trance state once mm. in a while where you just transcend mm. T R A N C E S C E N D yeah. You know, and and impossible visions or imaginings or ideas or whatever you want to, you suddenly maybe have some access. But you see, I th I think we're already in the trance state. It's it's actually escaping the trance trance state. That's what you get with through through dancing, potentially through music and other kinds of art, is escaping the trance state. That's the, the daily trance. Well, well, no, it's not, it's not, that is, that is... The corporate trance, you, well, corporate media-inflicted well, trance. Well, no, but, you know, you, you know, that I want to, I want to transcend the trance state. You know, I want to sort of feel alive. Um, oh, I get it, like, yeah. like voodoo, like we're all zombies. Okay, I'm getting it. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. These are the precious moments when you can achieve that, you know, like through an amazing film or piece of music or dancing or there are various activi activities where you can genuinely live the moment you know you know if you have like a really good meal um, you have you know sex is another one or um, you know like swimming you know where you really are living you know you're actually in the moment and you're actually outside the trance state that's what it is that you know you that's those are the moments when you can feel what it is to be human Oh, I like that. I, I see that you've done a lot of thinking about all the cliches that we only look at one way. Like, I thought trans state was something exotic that, oh, yeah, I'd love to. I try to achieve it when I'm playing the piano, I you know, where it's not me playing anymore. It's mm. someone else, and mm. I'm doing something mm. I've never done before, mm. things like that. But you're saying that giving a more, what I would call a more negative... Um, Usage of the trance, so like everyone out there is like zombies in a trance. Yeah, and, and, and we're, we're victims of the sort of, you know, that, for example, like, you know, I went to this neurological conference and it was in Edinburgh, and 
he was talking about you know the, the sort of waves that are sort of transmitting the electric waves through the brain and this that and that and that th in actual fact that thoughts are thinking us you know we like to we yeah. pride ourselves on being the sort of the mo you know that we we instigate thought you know um, but what he's saying is that it happens you know the illusion is very powerful but in actual fact that the, the, the things the thoughts you know we're, we're being thunk if I can say it like that <laughs> thunk I love it it's the thinking is an action that happens to us I can go along with that um, that makes total yeah. sense to me because I always say yeah. I'm I never talk yeah. I'm just channeling and, and what 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 are, and, and, and the things which are and this is not what he was talking about but the way I see it is what those things which are um, the triggers for those things are um, you know your environment the people that you're with you know the the state you know your state of mind you know the the, the physiology of, uh, of of the space that you're in um, you know that where you you know when you get when you step onto a bus the place where you sit is dictated to you by however many people are on the bus already and where they're sitting um, when you go into a movie theater and all, all kinds of there are all kinds of yeah. activities these are obvious ones you know how uh, we were talking about this the other day in the in the symposium that if you're in a museum people speak very quietly um, but there's no reason for that I mean you know, no, no, nobody cares I mean the paintings don't mind um, you know you're not going to offend anybody by speaking really loudly so why do people do that? Because of the the physiology environment. They, in other words, you know you're being very powerfully affected by your your surroundings and your illusion of identity and this this that and the other. You're in a you're in a trance state, um, whereas the, the people dancing at the concert or the people swimming in the ocean or having sex, or so, these are these are these are these are precious moments when that all that bullshit doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say I don't even think. The, I agree with you that the thoughts think you. Mm. The, the music plays me on the piano to the limits of my physiology yeah. and the scales I've learned yeah. and things. Yeah. But, um, and that I don't even talk. Some, I'm channeling something. I don't know where it comes. Well, you from. notice. I mean, that's particularly you know any kind of musical improvisation. You can you can really feel that happening. That pro that where you, you know you can be sense all intents and purposes completely switched off in your brain, consciously speaking. Um, but stuff's coming out, and you know um, from inside, like magic. Yeah, it is magic, and, and your job is just let it come out uncensored. Correct. And and that's, I guess I've done a, tried to do a lot of work towards uncensoring people as much as I can just through words and mm. images on paper, mm. so that they're, they just accept what, what comes out in the surrealist automatic writing mm. surrendering stage, mm. you know, you you know t that word tabula rasa again. Mm. You're just writing, mm. and and you never analyze and critique at the stage in which you are channeling. Save it at least for the next day. Yeah, yeah. And and I find that if I have to write a piece, I I kind of cram and expose myself to as much data mm. or data, however it's pronounced, and then go to bed. And then as soon as I wake up, just start 
channeling onto mm -hmm. the computer yeah. or notebooks or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then, but the censoring, analyzing, another day. Mm. Yeah. I don't want want to be doing that. I mean, I, I personally, you know, I think you have to be looking at ways of, you know, if we accept that this is how it's, this is what's happening, that that's we, you know, we're being thought, we're being, you know, like I like use the word thunk. Because like, it doesn't exist, it's but it, <laughs> it's humorous. <laughs> it sounds funny. Yeah, um, it sounds. It adds some weird exactly. dimension of freedom, yeah. where it may not exist, but we hope it does. I mean, I always said punk was first and foremost the search for freedom. At least that's the way that I reverse engineer Monday morning quarterback it. Yeah, and that's why it was so valuable because you had, you were supported by others who had the mm. same crazy idea, yeah, or not so crazy. Because <laughs> you know that that if you can find ways of subverting that, if we accept that it exists, then that's that's the key. And uh, I mean, that's I, I remember reading the Dice Man, Luke Reinhardt's, oh. when I was a teenager, and that was very um, influential, because again, that's a, that's that's a means of subversion. Because you're rolling a dice to make decisions about, every, you know, very basic everyday things. You know, he starts off, you know, just in a restaurant choosing things from the menu, based on a dice roll. Uh, and then it gets it, it starts to um, creep into into every decision about his life, including his relationship with his wife. Um, and it's com uh, it, it ultimately it's it's completely his life's completely subverted to the dice, but that's genius in a way. At least to write a book like that. Yeah, yeah I, I did read part of it. I should have finished it. Uh, but I, I'm a huge fan of Chance. I mean, I didn't really like the throbbing gristle or whoever it was, PTV phrase, mm. forced the hand of Chance. Mm. Because mm. I said, no, if you made that phrase, you don't really get it. Mm. Um, no, Chance is a gift and a surprise. But mm. to me, it, it almost has to involve surprise and unexpectedness. Mm. Mm. And I'm a huge fan of Chance being a collaborator in everything I do. If but you kind of have to be open to that. My my feeling is that that's that's a, I mean the dice the dice is a is a way of subverting, but it's not necessarily a useful one. I mean he gets mm -hmm. into trouble because yeah, he does all sorts of naughty things. You can get into trouble. Yeah, but yeah. so you're not really looking for you, uh, to become a random creature. I don't think that's the the, no, the answer. It's it subverts else. successfully, but it doesn't use doesn't subvert usefully. I, I, um, some other means. I mean, I mean, I'm always thinking about this. Um, I know with my own sort of, if I'm creating things, uh, one of the things I do. I think artists, whether they like it or not, um, fall into the habit of evolving too easily. So that so what I mean by that is that everything, a new thing that they do. Is very much connected to templates, previous templates of things that they've already done. Mm. So if it's music, there's this, this notion of progression, and they and they they use ideas and techniques that they previously use and just add or take away from that. Mm. Whereas I, I I personally don't want to sort of be influenced or be making the same thing again. Mm. So I I and the way of subverting that process is deliberately destroy or sell the equipment that I used for the previous work. Um, or any notes that I had for making that music, so everything's destroyed. I mean, it's frustrating now because there's the stuff that I did like 15 years ago, and I think I really wish I knew how I made that sound. 
but I have no documentation for it. I don't have any the hardware for it, so it's lost. But that's a good thing, ultimately, because each time you're forced to sort of rethink the process. <coughs> 